Thank you so much for coming. Uh, my name is Balis. I'll be a facilitator for the session. And in case there's anyone who's lost, we are at New Beginnings, creating a South African podcast. Right? Okay, great. Um, we have our speaker today, and his name is Rasmus Beats. He's the managing editor at soundafrica.org, and he will be speaking to us uh, about soundafrica.org as well as uh, podcasting in the South African space. Can we please give a warm welcome to Rasmus Beats? Thank you. And there is sound coming through and everything. Perfect. Great. Um, then I'll just go to this that said, says everything that you just said. My name is Rasmus Spitz, and then a little bit more. I'm from Denmark. Um, I'm a freelance journalist. I work for um, a variety of media, mostly Danish media. And then I'm also the editor of the Sound Africa podcast and the soundafrica.org. And that's why I'm here today. I have never won any awards, but maybe one day. Um, I'll get back to all of this about Sound Africa, which is actually, um, you know, like what I'm into and what I will be talking about. However, um, as a way to get to where I want to start, I want to start about talking about what is a podcast, which might seem stupid because you guys are all professionals and know what it is. But it is actually a little bit more complicated like that, I, I find. There is a point to this. I'll get to it. Um, I'll start out by s talking about like a podcast initially was actually nothing more but a way of like distributing content. It's a way of packaging something, sending it out. The technical side of it, we don't need to talk about. But the term podcasting today kind of means something else. At least in a lot of people's minds, it's sort of a different thing. It's a matter of content. It's a matter of independently produced content. Um, this is a very confusing thing. So definitions are, uh, there are no hard definitions. And like one of the presenters said yesterday, I also personally believe that this will be obsolete in, in the future. There will be no real difference between what is a podcast and what is radio. Uh, at the moment, this is just sort of how we are seeing things. But to give you a quick introduction, podcasting kind of became a thing in 2004. It had to do with the um, invention of the iPod and the way of distributing content there. Initially, there was a lot of podcasts that came out. It was huge, thousands. Um, people were so excited that they now could finally like create their own content and put it out. So everyone and his cousin got a microphone and set it up in their garage and started talking about whatever weird horror, fil horror films from the 1930s Eastern Europe that they loved, and no one was listening. And that was not only because this is like rather obscure, and maybe they, their garage wasn't a really good space for podcasting, it was also because probably technology was simply not there yet. Like We didn't all have smartphones, we didn't have an easy way to download content, etc., etc., and that meant, paired probably with the fact that it wasn't very professional, the production side of things, meant that most podcasts that started out went for a year or two or even less and then just died. Um, what happened then was that podcasting made a return. It was sort of like a s sort of slow startup, but uh, culminating in around 2012 and 13 in what I have called the age of serial, which ended up with... 97 million downloads 
in the first season in 2014. And this for any kind of radio, I mean, is insane. And podcasting especially. You, you have by far most podcasts, and here we're talking like, I don't remember the exact number, but with something like 95%, they have less than 200 listeners per episode. Like, this is crazy. Um, but it is also worth remembering that measuring numbers in podcasting is extremely hard. There is no like standardized way of doing this all over the world. Um, also because how do you know? Like for example, you can count downloads, but you don't know if people are listening to what they have downloaded. You also don't know if people listen to it more than once. You also don't know if people are listening together with other people. Uh, so there are all these difficulties, is it? So it's a lot pretty insecure. The other thing about it is that um, podcasting generally is listened to differently than radio. It's more intimate, it's closer, it's nearer, which means that, at least in my personal opinion, a podcast listen is worth more, for example, for an advertiser, than is a listen on the radio while you're driving in, in your car or, you know, in the shop or whatever. So, in terms of these numbers are mainly important when it comes to sponsorships and that kind of thing, and they are really hard to measure. So it's still like a bit of a, 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 a no man's land. Um, but podcasting has been has grown huge over uh, all over the world, particularly in the United States and a lot of countries, some countries in Europe. In South Africa, we're still to see the big boom, which. I will illustrate by the top 10 list. This is from a couple of weeks ago. But if you look at the top audio episodes from iTunes in South Africa, and now iTunes is not the only way to get podcasts, but it is still the biggest player all over the world. So the ratings here mean something. If you look at that, you have generally the big American podcasts or radio shows that um, you know are um, popular all over the world. Freakonomics, you have um, Radiolab. Uh, but then you also have otherwise like these like Club Life by D.A. Chesto and other like music stuff. But the most popular is this like messianic Torah obsession Jewish podcast. And there are a few religious podcasts on it. And otherwise you have radio shows, broadcast shows from South Africa. That's the only sort of real South African content. Now, religious shows, of course, are real South African content as well, but just not in the, in the sort of mainstream way that podcasting is working in other countries. Um, in other words, the podcast revolution that we have seen in the United States, for example, and some places in Europe, has not come to South Africa, at least not in the way we know it. Gareth Cliff, you could perhaps argue, is a podcaster as he's, you know, putting his um, stuff out the way he does and uh, he has a lot of downloads according to Gareth Cliff um, but I don't doubt it to be honest he, he has a lot of downloads he said he had something like last year, a year ago already like something like 600,000 per month I mean, and you don't know if people are listening to it or not but certainly he has an impact and he is a market but is he really a podcaster? that's the other thing you know about the distribution here. And that's what I was just touching when it came to um, podcasting, whether it being like distribution or content. Because if you're looking at it at that way, the best example may be a show like This American Life, which is probably the most influential podcast in the world. 
it's not a podcast. Like, it isn't. It, it is a podcast in some ways distributed, but it's actually has run since the early 90s on broadcast radio. It's made for broadcast radio. It still is, ro- is on broadcast, broadcast radio all over the world. So, in other words, there are many, many podcasts all over the world. And uh, in that way, to say that you are a podcaster or that you're having a podcast is basically the same as saying, I'm writing things down. Like, it does not really mean anything. Um, but we have a sort of a shared idea of what it means. I think in the future there will be not, no distinction. We will be all be doing radio. But what's important about it is that I think podcasting and the search and in popularity has opened up the venue for a lot of independent producers to do whatever they wanted. Some big mainstream with a huge impact um, like This American Life, for example, or Radiolab or Serial, big American stuff, but also niche things, uh, some of which is like everybody and his cousin in the garage and it's like kind of shitty quality and only interested, interesting to their family but others that is actually generating quite a big revenue as well. A good example that I find is like the ultra nerd podcast. It's not called that. That's what I wrote. Uh, It's called Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. It's an American show where, for example, if you are interested in Genghis Khan and the Mongolian Empire, he has four episodes on that alone, each of them four hours long. And this is only about the life of Genghis Khan, no one else. And this is Dan Carling, this one guy sitting, talking on his own. You know? There are no guests, there are no sound effects, nothing. But it's pretty popular. He makes a living out of this by having his fans pay uh, on a voluntarily basis. Anyway, he does a pretty good job, but like, you need to be a pretty hardcore history fan to enjoy it. Radio drama has sort of taken a new turn um, one of my, like, I've never been a big fan of radio drama, I must admit, and I think it partly has to do with the fact that it's very hard to act, I think, in audio, because radio, particularly when we listen to it in the podcast format, is so close to us, it's, it's intimate, and you cannot lie if you only have the voice. That's, that's what I believe. It's very easy to hear if people are being disingenuous. So you need really good actors to make really good radio drama. And as far as I know, there isn't money <laughs> enough in radio drama to attract the best actors in the world, and etc., etc. Anyway, I hope I don't offend anyone. There is good radio drama. I realize this. But I'm, I'm personally, I have never really been caught up, except perhaps with one show, which is called Welcome to Night Vale. This is an incredibly weird stuff about a radio station in a small desert community where everything seems to be normal, but they are obviously haunted by aliens and different government agencies, UFOs, like all this stuff. It's pretty cool. Check it out. But a show like that would never, I think, be published on uh, or be broadcast in the media. Like, although I guess you could say that probably is a tip of the head to the old, like, uh, Mars Invasion, that, that was a show in England like in the 50s or so, I think. Anyway, mainstream narrative journalism, the best example of this being This American Life, has run like now. They have like more than almost 600 episodes, I think, of an hour long. It's run since the early 19s. Ira Glass is the host of that, is probably the 
uh, biggest star in radio today and podcasting. Maybe not radio because, of course, there are big commercial stations, etc. But in this kind of talk radio space and in radio journalism. Um, and then there is the genre that I call interview friends in your garage, um, which has a lot of tiny little podcasts, like people with like between zero and a and hundred listeners. But then there is a guy like WTF with Mark Maron. He's an American comedian, and he started out, he wasn't really making it in comedy. He didn't get hired. He was so angry that everyone seemed to be hired by the Daily Show or whatever comedy show, but nobody hired Mark. So he decided to make his own podcast in his garage. And 600 episodes later, he had Barack Obama on his podcast, like President of the United States. So just because I was making fun of the garage genre of podcasting, it's not necessarily something that you can't be successful with. Like, it can happen if you're good enough and if you will make 600 episodes, you know. So it's dedication uh, is one thing. And then there are these weird niches that are really well produced and funded in a weird way that I don't understand. There's something about... Beef and the Beef and Dairy Network, a British podcast which is very well produced and is about the beef and dairy industry. They have some incredibly, sometimes some quite offensive uh, commercials. I think one of them that I just listened to was uh, about how their sponsor is called, it's a Greek yogurt maker, and, he's, and it goes something like, the, like tax evasion. There are some things that Greeks are the best in the world at doing, <laughs> making yogurt. So, in any way, so if you are, have an appetite for offensive advertisements and beef and dairy, you know, there's something for you as well. Point being, there is a podcast for everyone to make and for everyone to listen to. Which brings me to the podcast that I'm involved in, Sound, the Sound Africa podcast. Um, and we are not making it in a garage, although we might as well have be doing that because we are, have a pretty minimalistic setup. We have a few uh, different microphones that all fit into, like our studio setup fits into a suitcase like this size and can be carried around. Um, and we launched our first episode in November 2015. Um, we do creative nonfiction, long-form narrative, journalism, documentary, storytelling, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of confusing terms for this, but basically my, what I think is better is probably radio documentary because it sort of highlights like, um, the kind of stuff that we do. We have one season now, seven ep episodes. Our content ranges from uh, the life story of a refugee uh, from Burundi to Cape Town and one about space exploration and technology. What is really important to us is experiments and exploration of the documentary format. We don't really believe necessarily only in podcasting. That is just a space right now where a lot of stuff happens in terms of documentary storytelling, like people are really challenging the genres, etc. And why they're doing that is probably because it's Electronic, there is a lot of space for creativity, but it's not as heavy as TV or film production, so it's easy to do, it's accessible. At the same time, there's a huge space for innovation. 
Um, so some people are doing good stuff in there, and we want to also be part of that. Another thing that we do which illustrates this is sort of our next avenue that we've ventured into is live events. The first thing we did was just what we call the radio cinema. We've done this a few times in and around Cape Town and in Johannesburg. Here we've done it at the um, Bioscope in, uh, in Maiboning. And uh, that's basically people sitting together in a dark room listening to radio together. It sounds weird, but it really is a cool experience for some reason. It becomes social in a way, and it gets amplified, and it's, and it's really cool. And if you can get old people to go, which is easy in Cape Town, um, then they will remember the time when they didn't have TV before 1976, I believe, in South Africa, and they'll be like, this is just like we used to do when I was a kid, and it takes me back and everything. But if you're doing like, you know, productions like this, tr try and do it. Even if you're only like 10 people, it's still cool. Um, talent development. Uh, no, actually, another thing that I just want to add on there is the last thing we did was a collaboration with the Encounters um, International Documentary uh, Festival in, well, it's both Cape Town and Johannesburg, I'm sure. If you're from South Africa, you know it. Uh, which was what we called the live documentary, African Space, the live documentary. It was basically a live um, performance of a podcast. We had, I had made a podcast about the SKA, the Square Kilometer Array um, radio telescope that's being built in the Karoo now. It's huge. It's amazing. Read about it if you don't know about it. Um, but then um, talk to a poet, a sci-fi poet, yeah, they exist, and got her to write uh, a long poem. It was like a 16-page long poem, which basically then was the uh, narr a new narrative to my audio clips. And then I found some musician that, for some weird reason, had um, recorded the sound of a particle accelerator, out of which they made music that went along with uh, the performance of the poem and the audio clips. Oh, uh, no, don't, don't play that yet. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was a weird thing, but it was cool. We played it, we did it in the, in the um, Cape Town Science Center. It was a packed room somewhere between documentary, uh, theater, live performance. Great experience, and we would love to do that again. But another way of trying to experiment with the documentary format and what that can do. Um, yeah, if... If you want to hear more about whatever, we can. We will take questions later. Just add on that talent development is another thing that we're very passionate about because um, it has been probably also because I'm a foreigner. I've been here two and a half years, but not long enough to have a huge network in South African media. Um, so I haven't really. I've had a hard time finding uh, people who know how to work in this format, like documentary, radio documentary. Um, so my feeling is like the scene isn't really there as, as, I, as, as, as I was also showing in the iTunes uh, charts. The local um, scene isn't there yet. I think there's a lot of people that are interested, but people are finding it hard to sort of step into and start making stuff because it seems intimidating, long form, all of that. Editing is difficult. Um, so it's important for us to also de develop talent um, for a lot of other reasons that I'll also come to now because 
We are a small team of core members, basically three. Two journalists, one South African and me, and then uh, a German to take care of the numbers. Um, they do that well. And then we sort of have a larger group of supporters, if you will, or people who are involved to, um, to varying degrees. Uh, and this can be people who have who are maybe already like sort of learning or researching stories or people who are involved as like hosts or doing some voice work, etc. Maybe let's, yeah, I call it like a supporter group because I guess it's people who are interested but not, you know, quite there yet and who may produce an episode uh, for our next season or what we don't know that yet. Everyone has day jobs because we haven't managed so far to really make a profit. We're making a little bit of money, but definitely not enough to uh, pay anyone, uh, which also leads us to our European problem. Like, I don't have anything against Europeans. Some of my best friends are Europeans, but there's just too many of them. No, that's <laughs> my... <laughs> Basically, I am from Denmark, and I said we have a German guy, then we have a South African guy. But, you know, we're three young men out of two are European. That is not very good if you're creating um, a podcast in South Africa or in Africa in general. Um, but the problem with this is also that if you don't have a, a lot, if any, money, you can't really force people to work for you for free. That's sort of historically been proven for Europeans particularly, it's a, no, let's not even go there. Um, and that fits together, but that does fit together with the talent development because what we do have and what we can offer is training. Uh, we will only do it, we have had a surprising amount of Europeans writing to us wanting to intern. And for one, I don't know why, I mean, I guess like <laughs> we... Yeah, I don't know what we really can offer, but also that's not really what we're interested in. A part of the training philosophy is also finding people who can give us access to stories that we don't have access to. Because if we want to grow, and if we want to grow in South Africa and Africa in general, we need to tell stories that are relevant to the listeners that we want to get to. And I can't always do that. I can tell stories, yes, absolutely, and some of them can be universally relevant or I can speak to an audience, but... There's just so many stories that I don't have access to. So in order to do that, you can either sit and wait for somebody that might pitch something to you, or you can try to develop that talent yourself uh, also and yeah, pass it on. But, you know, we're in very, very early phases of this. We have like two guys who are sort of starting to come into our office and, and learn a little bit and hang out. We're hoping that this will turn into like a proper training program, but we're all like experimenting now. Um, a lot of unanswered questions on that front as well, but it's, it's uh, an important thing. Um, when it comes to our content, we have decided to keep it rather broad. There must be like a clear African connection. So we don't want to do stuff that has no relation to um, Africa. So far, we have had stories that have had to do with mainly South Africa, but we also had, like, a, as I said, a story from, well, Burundi or Congo um, or DRC, etc. 
but we're keeping it open in that way because we, we think that as this space is pretty open, there isn't this like big documentary podcast in Africa, like let's not narrow ourselves down just yet. Um, stories can be negative or positive. By this I mean we are not interested in this like demonizing picture of Africa of, of everyone starving but we're also not interested in what the aid industry often like promotes us like, no, Africa is doing so well, like now we must only tell stories about hope. No, we want to present uh, stories that are real, like stories like say, Africa is no exception in this, this must be the same um, sort of news values as everywhere else, because why shouldn't it be? You know, life here is equally hopeful and devastating and everything as it is wherever else. Um, but our stories must be entertaining. And by that I don't mean they must be funny. They, must, they can be sad, they can be touching, they can be anything, but it's important that they do get to people because what we want is to sit people down and have them listen to us for at least 30 minutes. Dedicate your time like that. It's not a tweet. It's not a two-minute video. So our stories must be so strong that they can actually hold the attention. I don't know if we succeed always, but that's our ambition. And then, if we have an ide editorial ideology, we're not in investigative journalists, but we don't mind that. We would like to do investigative projects as well, if we would ever find the resources. But if we have any kind of ideology, I'll say that it is that our stories should enable listeners to meet people who are different from them and show them connections that they did not know existed. Um, and I think this is an ambition that, I mean, maybe it's a bit abstract, um, but the idea is generally that we want to surprise people, but also, like in another way of putting it, we want to be the podcast that if you listen to it, um, then next time you're at the bar or next time you're at your uh, family gathering, we want to be the one where you go and tell your cousin or your friend or your, your coworker, I heard this really interesting story. It was about this or that. Like, so that's where we want to go. That's where we want to end. Um, and a quick idea of what this is, is one of our stories here uh, that, that I made last year. It's called The Devil in Joburg, and um, now I'd like you to play just uh, that clip. Hello. I'm good, I'm good, how are you? Okay, how was yesterday? February 2014. A friend of mine showed me an article about how occult and satanic crimes were on the rise in South Africa. 
perplexed and a little intrigued, I must admit. I started researching the topic and I found out that the papers were literally full of stories of Satan. From relatively innocent stories of pentagrams being spray painted on walls at night to stories of rabbits getting their ears cut off and then, much more seriously, several cases of what the papers describe as satanic murders. A sinister plot to kill an 18-year-old because he'd be a logo began with a Bible rock. Yeah, anyway, that was the introduction. And this is like a rather dark topic, certainly. Um, and I did get the idea from the Daily Sun, because that's where all these stories often are. Um, but I think it's a good example. I don't necessarily think it's our best um, podcast yet, but it's a good example of uh, how we make a story. Because the idea comes from something that a lot of people will be like, that's tabloid, you can't do that. But my idea was like, look, this is huge. Like, there are so many stories that you have to think that this is serious somehow. There's something to this. And then try to go on sort of an exploration to find out what this is, you know. And, it, and I tried to not make it sensational at all. This is about going to um, people who know stuff, but also people who are close to these things and have an open talk about it. Um, the story is character-driven in the way that I am there as a narrator, but my role as a narrator is not important. You learn nothing about me except you can hear on my accent that I'm a foreigner. Um, aside from that, it's built up by other characters. Among them is a researcher here at WITS. There is also a uh, young woman who lives in Dobsonville, where, these, where two murders that we're looking closer into were committed. There is um, a guy they call God's Detective. He is a former um, colonel in the police uh, by the name of Dr. Kurbus Junker and is known as like the main occult cop in South Africa. He now lives in a suburb of Pretoria and I went, and I went to, uh, to, to visit him and came out of there somewhere between frightened and perplexed. Um, but... Anyhow, uh, there's also an archbishop and um, a spokesperson for the pagans in South Africa. Just to, to, to give you an idea of what kind of characters are in here. The story as well is interesting because this is, I think, a story where there's a lot of pitfalls. As a reporter, particularly somebody like me, who doesn't necessarily understand the nuances of religion, of, of society here, I could fall into a lot of traps, and I probably do to some extent. But I think still it's important to try and engage with that. And also, um, you know, uh, as both the listener and the reporter, you feel like there's something at stake, you know. So it becomes something that touches people, that people after listening to it will have an opinion about. And we played this at a, um, one of these radio cinema um, events in Cape Town, where two people walked out for two completely different reasons. Like, and I think that was in a way a success. The rest of people stayed there. So I think we had like about 60 people, 58 of them made it through. And, and the two that left did for opposite reasons, which I think is great because this means that this touches something in people. Um, and, you know, access to sources in this case was easy as well as difficult. I'm not going to get into that, but as you could maybe hear, 
the style than the editing and the sound design is mildly experimental, I want to call it, because I want it to be accessible enough that it's not super weird and people will be like, I don't want to listen to that. Of course, there will be people who feel that way already, but the beginning, this is the beginning, there will be an introduction. What you heard, there will be an introduction, of course, but otherwise, this is the beginning. And this is just me buying, actually literally buying a newspaper at the engine with a huge microphone like this open. So it is like not staged in any way. I just went in to buy the newspaper, kept the microphone on, and I thought this is such a great way, like that just sort of a gift that fell into my basket of like setting the stage of the place and she is talking about how some of it is real some of it is not real like you can't script that almost like so it's a bit of a untraditional way of, of, of starting the thing and all the information that you need to get you only get later in the story um, anyhow just a quick example uh, aside from that yeah I guess that was the last. There was one more slide, but it doesn't matter. The only thing on that slide was uh, that our aim is to... No, our goal is to aim so high that even failure will have the smell of success. So um, <laughs> if you have any questions, now is the, now is the time. Uh, I will say, though, just before going further, that uh, at this stage we have not secured enough funding that we're sure that we can pay our reporters yet and our editors. That's what we want to do as soon as possible. But aside from that, if you are a radio reporter and if you are interested in doing long-form documentary stuff, and if you're not European, sorry, no offense, um, we, you, you should uh, get my details or just go to our website and get in touch because then we are interested. Thank you so much to Erasmus Bits. Is there anyone with questions? Okay. Hi. Um, I just want to ask, why did you choose to work in South Africa? Maybe just give me a why little I bit. Why I came here, personally? Yeah. Um, and secondly, what is your ultimate goal? What are you trying to achieve with all of this podcast mm -hmm. in South Africa? Um, I came here initially because I uh, first was here in 2009 as an exchange student and uh, I happened to meet someone slightly more South African than me, but not much, and uh, my wife, now wife, um, since then we lived in Denmark for a few years, but she wanted to go back three years ago to, or to start her uh, PhD here and I just sort of came along and tried to figure out something to do and yeah, and that was freelance journalism. Um, the goal, the ultimate goal of this is, in a way, for me, came out of a frustration to some extent about me not being able to tell the kind of stories that I wanted to tell. Partly because I was working mostly for the Danish media, and I still do that. But, you know, oftentimes it always starts with like, you're trying to tell a story, and they're like, well, but what about Mandela? What would Mandela have said? And you're like, the guy is dead, you know, like, rest in peace, he's a good guy, but things have moved on. So in order to go deeper into things and tell creative stories, there wasn't really an outlet, particularly in radio, that I found. So then I thought, you know, let's, let's try and build one ourselves. So the, and, and the end goal of it is to have a place where we can tell creative nonfiction, for now in the podcast format, but it doesn't necessarily have to end there, uh, yeah, for independent journalist or storytellers. Hi everyone. 
How's everyone doing in the back? <laughs> All right. <laughs> just thought I'd start a party. Woo! It is Friday. It is Friday after all. Yeah. I just want to ask you something. You specifically said earlier on that uh, certain programs that we perceive as podcasts are not really podcasts. And I wanted to know exactly where does that come from? What, what exactly constitutes as a podcast in your view? And which programs would you say, hey, you just uploaded that. That's a radio clip uploaded <laughs> online and can be downloaded, but it's not a podcast. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that was the confusion. And that's where... At the end of it, I would say, like, I think the term podcasting might stay, but the way we understand it is going to be different. The way I define a podcast is actually more about that this is sort of a standalone, independent uh, program that is not slotted in necessarily between two news uh, segments and doesn't have, you know, the traditional advertisement and doesn't have necessarily it can have but doesn't have all this like choo, choo, to catch your attention in traffic like it is a much more intimate medium that you listen to alone i can't really get any closer to it and that was kind of the the roundabout way that i tried to say it in the beginning i don't really know but i think it's going to be meaningless in the future anyway and i think there was a question down there yeah it was just I can vouch for the South African Space podcast that you created, Rasmus. It was absolutely brilliant. If you haven't listened to it, go to South Africa. I've got, I've got no ties yet. <laughs> I've never um, seen the man have, before. I've, I've just got to say that I'm a, a <clears throat> This American Life and Radio Lab nut. And I was looking for something in South Africa that would match that kind of um, production quality. When I listened to the, the program about the SKA, I was really blown away. So really well done on that. Thanks. Um, I just wanted to know two things. The journalist, for example, on that, did you train? And the other thing was, um, does everyone know that your mic is open? I mean, for example, the, the teller that you went to. Well, so uh, the first question, what was that again? I didn't catch Do you. The so you are training the, the presenter or the journalist yeah, yeah, yeah. to the SKA. It was yes. Carnivan, wasn't it? What's that? You, the town was Carnarvon. Yes, yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, yes, I was, no, it was me who was up there, hey? uh, in the town. Um, there, you were talking about the presenter of it, or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yes, uh, I'm kind of training uh, her in that way, yeah. Um, the other question, do people know that the microphone is on? Uh, I do not try to, I don't, have any like consent forms with me like i don't like and it is a risk i know it might be unethical to some extent but i walk around with a microphone that's this big and i go up and i stick it into people's faces like this you know and i will always tell them where i'm from what i'm doing and and that kind of thing but oftentimes i'll only do it after a couple of questions because i feel like that sort of meeting the dynamics of it that really comes through and the sound really easily gets destroyed and that gets particularly and that's why i like radio as well it's like particularly put a camera in there and people are like this you know somehow a microphone this big does not frighten people nearly as much um, and i will always i'll never put somebody on the on in in my programming that that who don't want to be there uh, but i I try to keep it as simple as possible for the sake of the sound. Unfortunately, it seems like we'll have time for one last question. Uh, I saw your hand up. 
right. Um, congrats for the initiative. Thank you. Right, but I, I need to find out um, what will it take for podcast to gain, uh, to gain uh, traction on the continent as they have done elsewhere. And a related question is, as we saw with the blogging, once uh, you know blogs became very popular, mainstream media kind of went into that space. Is it going to be the case with podcasts as well? If, for example, they become very popular and mainstream media, you know, SABCs or NASPAS and so forth, also come and squeeze you perhaps out of that space or, 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 or you compete with them in that space? Yeah. Um, the last thing first, yes, I think that will happen. I think, and I think, and I think that because I know it's already happening in other places. For example, now I know most about it in Denmark, where I am from. Uh, a really, really good independent podcast there that I know of that is in many ways like my um, like the this, this stuff that I aspire to do. They were taken over recently by a big newspaper, the biggest newspaper in the country, because they saw how popular this stuff was 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 getting. Fortunately, they have still um, managed to make their own stuff exactly the way that they want to. Uh, because I think they managed to open people's mind to this, so they have a strong bargaining sort of position. And I think that's what right now you can aspire to, particularly here. If you make a podcast that is, becomes popular and then it then is good, you can actually redefine a little bit what radio will look like in, in the future in a small, small way, but still. And in that way, yes, if it becomes successful, I think big players will take it over. But maybe you have been strong enough to... Um, to do this, but there will also always be space for the independence, I think. And in this case, I mean, we can compare it a little bit to to uh, paper and pens, you know. Like, I mean, just everyone pretty much can write, but that doesn't mean that every other person is Shakespeare. It also doesn't mean that everything is New York Times. Like, there is a lot of variety, and it's about genre, quality, everything, and that's like very broad in that way. So, I think the big players will get in there, yes, but they will probably be space for the independence. What I think um, should happen for podcasting to get very popular in uh, South Africa and the, and the rest of the continent has largely to do with access, I think, to technology, smartphones and particularly data. Uh, because, and then, of course, a knowledge, like people need to be aware of that this is existing. That we can see everywhere, like now in the States, um, the, the awareness of podcasting and how many people using it is going up every year. It's the same in Denmark and probably in most other European countries. And I'm sure it's the same here as well, but just on a very smaller scale. And, and, um, and I think it is a matter of time before everyone will have access to Wi-Fi or affordable data. It may be far in the future for some places, but for South Africa, uh, maybe not, okay, not everyone, but like let's say 80% will about once a week be in a place with Wi-Fi where they can download. So then they need to know that this exists. And I think that just really takes time, you know, like, and that's sort of how it is. Thanks for coming. <laughs>